Hi, my name is Chris Little, and I am the host of The Lifestyle Chase. In 2018, I started this show to have meaningful conversations. I've interviewed over a hundred different people, both in and out of the fitness industry. This podcast is something I'm incredibly proud of. Welcome to season four. Thanks for joining me. All right, so welcome to The Lifestyle Chase, and I've brought back a guest that was last on the show for February 6th, 2020. It's episode 98, if you want to go back. Um, And the person that is on the show today is Jeb Stewart-Johnston. And how are you on this this fine day? Good. I didn't realize that the last time we talked was right before the world collapsed. Well, it's crazy just to look back on these because I've been bringing back a lot of uh, guests and a majority of them I last talked to on the show right before um, with no idea what was coming and uh, no preparation. (laughs) So that's wild. What has essentially changed for you since that time? I know what's happened, but let's fill in fill in the audience as to what's happened. Well, um. God, for me, everything, really everything. I mean, I was kind of in that process. I think I was kind of in the infancy of kind of my new model of um, of nutrition and behavior coaching, the kind of thing I was putting together that I was I was kind of grabbing at a lot of things and trying out a lot of things and, and um, trying to see what what was, you know, working with my values and my systems and how uh, my approach was, was growing and changing and, and how I could solve problems in a better way. Um, and then right after we talked, I went down to present in um, Costa Rica. We, we had the, we had the, uh, with Ben house's project for research, we all had to present our own uh, research projects and mine was on mindfulness and, and fat loss. And um, it was a, it was a, I mean, it was, I was a, it was a, uh, tough, tough, tough uh, um, project. And, uh, you know, good friend Dean Guido and I were both kind of uh, working on, you know, separate things, obviously very separate. Um, but at the same time, we're both very competitive. So every time he got something done, I was like, well, now I got to get it done. I got to I can't let him do better than me. Um, and so we went down. It was great because we pushed each other really hard and then came back from there. And while we were down there, we, you know, we got even closer as friends and we decided to 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 kind of join forces and start working on a podcast together and um we did the pump which is kind of on hiatus now we're actually we're going to be bringing that back uh, this week we've got our first uh, new episode in quite a while after you know dean had a child and there was a lot of lot then you know there was also this global pandemic going on a lot going on um so but since then we've got that going um I've got, um, I was formerly working with Stronger You. I left and went out on my own. So now I'm 100% um, solo. I was a contractor for many years. Now I, now it's all on me, which I love um, uh, doing. I have an emotional eating skills uh, uh, course group that, that, that works with people who are um, struggling with emotional eating skills. And then I also have, uh, you know, a bunch of regular nutrition clients. And then I work with a, a, a group of strength athletes as well. Um, and then also doing some projects with some other people that, will come to light in the next few months uh for the fourth quarter of next year is going to be a big year for for uh me and some of the projects that are going to start launching then and um so that's really exciting and then uh yeah i mean it's just been a, it's been a crazy crazy year but um 
it's you know i saw it coming i was telling dean you know back in 2019 it was like i i feel like we're on this roller coaster where it's like i i'm watching the climb i'm watching all my friends in the in the car with us and we're kind of getting that that hill and, and it's going to hit the top and once it starts rolling be ready because it's it's going to run fast and um COVID slowed it down quite a bit but uh but it's it's still it's still moving moving pretty fast so uh it's been a wild year well, I mean, you also relocated. Uh, what, what's that been like living oh, yeah, in a I different area? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, like you know, traumatic year. Um, being someone, you know, I, I was in Costa Rica when the shit kind of hit the fan, and uh, um, we were like, they were worried they were locked on the airports. I was leaving. I, I got home. I'm in the cab from you know on the four hour ride to the airport, and um, they're saying that the NBA has canceled their season. I'm like, well, this this thing that we when i left for costa rica was like a flu that we were a little worried about um by the time i was leaving costa rica to come back to the states uh was a full-blown you know fear like this thing was really happening um so i went back to new york city we obviously were the epicenter um and 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 just got decimated uh it was it was it was terrible it was um a lot of people left uh so i was in a new york that I don't think anyone's ever experienced uh, before this time, maybe and now because people couldn't leave in the 1800s when the Spanish flu came. So this is something that's probably never been experienced in New York um, in that you could walk down Times Square and not see a single person. Uh, it was completely uh, insane. It was unreal. Um, you know, you couldn't leave. You know, some people live in neighborhoods and places where they can walk around. We couldn't walk around outside without masks on. You, you were scared to the grocery store. You couldn't really get grocery deliveries. Like you, you'd wait up all night trying to hit to get the Amazon delivery. Uh, if you got a window, you would just get what you would buy, whatever they had. Um, uh, and it was it was it was a nightmare, really. It was it, it's it's very traumatic. Like thinking back on it, cause, you know, it, I can't even it's almost like blocked out. It's very, very blurry, actually. And then my wife and I were both working from home in 600 square feet. And uh, so we got to the point where we needed a break. We decided to rent a house in Charleston, South Carolina, because we were both working from home anyway. So we came down, rented a house here for a month. I have some friends from New York that had moved down here over the past you know, few years. And um, we loved the neighborhood we were in. And we went with a realtor and started looking at some houses and kind of impulse bought a house while we were down here and then went home and figured out how we we're going to move down. And uh, I thought I was going to hate it, but I, you know, my wife was really kind of struggling in New York at the time and uh, because of the pandemic and because of everything and not traveling and not seeing people. And uh, so I kind of was like, you know what, this, if this is what we have to do, we have to do it and, and came down and um, I kind of love it. <laughs> Like I never realized how stressed out I was until I left. And um, now I'm down here. I have a gym in my garage and I've got my own office and uh, we got a puppy because we have this backyard and, um, you know, we're 15 minutes from the beach. So I was at the beach pretty much every weekend this summer. And um, yeah. And then and, uh, my friend Ben from Costa Rica moved to Asheville, which is about four hours away. So even during the pandemic, I would drive up. I drove up there a few times and, and hung out with him and. Uh, my dad's, you know, in in over in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, which is also about four hours from here, which is nice. And he's thinking about buying a retirement home down here, which uh, is lovely. And um, yeah, it's it's been awesome. Like it's it's uh, I'm very adaptable though. So <laughs> I grew up moving all over the place, so it's it doesn't take much for me. 
Well, it's been cool to see how things have kind of changed for friends in the industry and like how you wouldn't necessarily like sign them up to have to go through the tough parts, but it's so good to see what came out of it. Like just to see people having maybe more balance or more, um, just more fulfillment in life. Like seeing you do a workout in your, your home gym is kind of cool because a person can understand like that, that feeling of, uh, structure and comfort and happiness and like actually enjoying the workout and reducing some of the, the stress factors and everything like that. Like what was it like as you kind of found your flow in your own uh, home gym space? Well, for, I mean, during COVID it was, you know, it was pretty important because I had my private studio in New York. So I kind of could go work out. I also had like a little, there was a cable station in my, in my apartment complex. So, um, I, I was able to work out. My workouts were garbage, right? They, they were terrible. I'm looking back on those, those months and like, I went and worked out, but I didn't, I wasn't really doing anything. Like he was just like going through the motions, which at the time that was fine. That was really all I, I had the uh, capacity to do. I mean, then when I came down here, um, you know, South Carolina was not exactly, uh, they don't push higher education here. So uh, there was not a lot of masks. There's not a lot of even, you know, they didn't, I don't know that they really believed that COVID was a thing. So I was not risking a public gym situation down here. Um, at least not at first. And I'm not, like, the weird thing about all this is, is being in New York, I'm the kind of person like, I'm going to wear a mask going out. Like, you know, of course I got vaccinated right away. Like I'm very much, um, you know, look, I look at the evidence-based practices and, and I adhere to those. And I also do things to try to make pe other people comfortable. But I also like, to be completely honest, like I kind of had that like, okay, well, you know what, like I'm not super worried, like I'm, I'm probably, I could get this, but I'm not like super scared of, you know, what could happen. I probably should have been more, more worried, but regardless, my wife was, you know, was kind of nervous about it. So I just stayed home mostly and, and worked out here and um, it was great. Like I had, I, I brought my studio down because I knew that COVID, like I wasn't gonna be able to buy equipment. So, you know, I spent a lot of money to ship a lot of heavy, heavy, like a squat rack, all my barbells, my safety squat bar, my trap bar, my weights. I had a leg press hack squat that I brought down that I actually sold. And I just bought a commercial hack squat for my, my tiny gym. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've kind of, kind of swapped things since the, the COVID prices have dropped to normal again. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was imperative to me because, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that had to do like body weight stuff. And like, and uh, if I'm being hundred percent honest, I'm just not going to do that. Like, I know me, like if I'm not in like, you know, working to failure on heavy sets of like, just kicking my ass, it's going to be really hard for me to find the desire to train. Um, and you know, even though that's something I would preach to my clients, like, you know, no, you can't be all or nothing. All this, like, I just know me. And it's like, um, you know, I'd probably go for walks. Maybe I would have started jogging or something, but I wasn't going to go out and do bodyweight squats and push-ups. Like just, you know, maybe I would do it for like a couple minutes and I'd be like, I'm done. Um, so it was good. You know, it was good to have that gym. I was able to kind of hit, you know, hit the things I needed to. And then I found this gym. It's about a half hour away. That's probably one of the best bodybuilding gyms I've ever encountered. And they keep buying new equipment. Um, they're a private 24 hour gym. So I had like a key fob and um, got in like the founder's rate and, so I started training there and uh, it was awesome. And so I still, I kind of go back and forth. So it's, it's kind of a supplemental thing for me, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm probably going to end up building a bigger shed on my backyard and getting like in building, like basically a small commercial gym. Cause I like bodybuilding. Like I don't, I hate sports specific training. Like all my friends are, you know, 
sports performance coaches and they try to get me to do their, I hate it. Like, like doing like, you know, jumping lunges or Bulgarian squats or anything with a kettlebell is terrible for me. Like put me on a machine and let me just go to failure. That's, that's my favorite stuff. So, so that's where I, you know, I'll end up building a place with, with a bunch of machines and when I can, and that'll be my, my, my midlife crisis project. Well, I mean, that's awesome. And just the fact that you're honest about like what works for you, like what you could see yourself doing and what you could not see yourself doing. I think that's kind of important for people. Like I can relate in in many ways where there's, there's always things that I could do, but there's things I'm most likely to do and things that I'm not very likely to do. And I tend to lean into the things that I'm most likely to do when it comes to my own fitness. Um, as I was preparing for this episode, I was going through some of your, uh, your past articles and stuff that you got featured on your website. And something that got my attention was mindfulness with regards to nutrition. Cause me, myself, I am, uh, big into just what mindfulness can do, but I didn't really realize how much of an impact it has until I was forced to from the pandemic. Um, and now I've placed a much higher value on it than I once did, but I like how you speak to things like this. So I kind of want to pick your brain and just kind of, uh, unpack that article and your thoughts and just, uh, take the floor. Yeah. So I mean, that article was pretty much based solely around the project that I did for Ben houses. So I just basically took the research I did for that um, and it, you know, it's it, the, the title of the article is, is mindfulness, uh, a legitimate tool for fat loss. And, um, the short answer is against my own bias. It's probably no, uh, it's probably not super effective for fat loss. Uh, the reason being is, uh, if we look at the, of what mindfulness helps us to do, right. Uh, it can slow down our eating. That's great. Um, you know, if we're talking about guys who, you know, and I'm going to stereotype a little bit, but having worked with, you know, well over a thousand nutrition clients, I can tell you people fall into, you know, some buckets. Uh, men tend to be the ones that eat fast. Uh, women tend to eat a little bit slower. Applying a mindfulness or a mindful eating approach to someone who's already eating slowly, probably not going to negate a lot of stuff. Now, where it could be helpful. Um, and again, so I'm talking with general populations here. So if you're just trying to go on a weight loss diet without any cognitive oversight, and when I say cognitive oversight, I'm referring to some type of um, like dictate that you know says whether it's a meal plan or if it's a flexible template or if it's calorie counting or macro counting. If you don't have one of those things, it's going to be very difficult to quantify fat loss uh, uh, results, right? Because we can use a mindfulness approach and which is fantastic for weight maintenance, for increasing behavioral change. Um, but again, it's not about losing weight. It can't be because the mindfulness part is just being aware, having acceptance, um, et cetera. So mindfulness in and of itself is probably not a very good tool for weight loss. Um, and that was my conclusion through this by looking at the research, looking for mindfulness-based approach, looking through um, acceptance-based therapies, dialectical-based, uh, dialectical behavior therapy, um, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, um, some other mindfulness practices that were utilized in there did not seem to show a market effect on fat loss versus either no intervention or um, a basic nutritional intervention and those basic nutritional interventions are basically like they tell people to eat a low fat diet like that's it um so now 
do we know the exact methods of mindfulness? Things like that? no, but but we can probably extrapolate the best we can because again, nutritional studies are going to be very much based on qualitative uh, data. Um, none of these things were done in a uh, a metabolic ward, so we don't have like you know exact calorie counts. There's no calorie matching. Um, not that that would even make sense really for a mindfulness study. So, the be- to the best of 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 my understanding it doesn't look like it's a benefit for fat loss now the more important thing to me though is that it does look like it's very important for weight maintenance and weight loss is always the target but being in this industry for a long time now uh the target is actually the wrong target right um most nutrition programs and nutrition coaches and diet coaches and all these people they'll help you lose weight uh but done in an in a manner that is not effective long term uh this approach is pretty damaging um and it's not helpful and it's why we have a you know whatever 46 billion dollar a year uh diet industry that recycles the same people over and over again it's because people lose weight gain it all back generally um losing muscle mass in the dieting process gaining fat mass in the regain process so they're actually a worse place uh, in terms of adiposity afterwards um and so to me the actual target now in my approach in my uh practice is about weight maintenance so that mindfulness approach allows us the space to start to understand our behaviors to start to have the awareness to start to have the acceptance of where we are and therefore we can use those tools to move us forward in that weight maintenance and understanding um, of how we can better our understanding within there. Um, and a lot of that I'll, you know, utilize a lot of what I would call a values-based approach. Um, you know, we look just in the research of like, what does mindfulness do it uh, within the brain? It, it, it helps with uh, um, myelination, which is habit formation. Uh, it has effects on the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, how we learn behaviors. So there's a lot of pieces, both from, a structural biological neuroscience standpoint and from a for lack of a better term spiritual kind of side where it allows people to feel more at peace and more in place mm-hmm. well i mean that last part that you really spoke to um resonates with me it's kind of like how i my role in the industry is more on like the long-term journey rather than like the uh the changes so much it's more about like finding things that help you holistically or just throughout more of your life than just the gym um and something that uh i kind of wanted to dive a bit deeper on is just like the emotional realm of uh nutrition and coaching and habits and all that stuff like how would one regulate their emotions when it comes to making choices and being mindful etc like what what are your thoughts on that i mean emotional regulation is a cornerstone of 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 what we work on in my emotional eating group uh, i mean it's really a cornerstone of everything um and it's pretty complex right like there's there's probably not a real simple sorry my my dog is barking Baby. um my they're sleeping my dog's just sitting on his bed just barking at the window there's probably nothing there all good <laughs> <laughs> um 
So emotion regulation, just, you know, it, it, it's pretty complex, um, but it, it comes down to uh, we can utilize mindfulness practices to start to work towards emotion regulation. Um, we can uh, basically we're, we're going to always be working on creating space. And, and that's a term I'll use a lot uh, because creating space allows us to start to look at what is factual versus what is feeling. And, you know, I hate that in the last, you know, couple of years that this facts versus feelings has been co-opted by like total douche canoe, like guys who, you know, talk about like, oh, if you're, if you're facts, if facts don't care about your feelings. And those guys all are actually the most like good people living in their feelings, just being angry and, and douchey. Um, but from, a, a, you know, an empathetic standpoint, it can be very helpful to look at the facts of a situation. And so, you know, I heard I heard it put and I can't remember who to attribute this to. So I apologize ahead of time. Uh, but, it, you know, if you were in a situation um, and let's say. Police officer shows up and asks you to describe the scene of what just happened, right? You're in an argument or something. You call the cops or your car wreck or whatever. And um, your car, let's say your car got hit by someone at a red light. And the cop says, so what happened? You're like, well, you know, I was getting up this morning and my husband was just just being unreasonable and treating me like, and, oh, 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 no, 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 what happened? Well, you know, last week I just I had the worst week and everyone was being mean. Oh, no, no, no. What happened? So, so often what we do instead of discussing what is going on with us, we start talking about how we feel about a situation. And let's think about any kind of narrative, any kind of story that we tell. There's almost always a protagonist and an antagonist. And who are we in the story? Are we ever the bad guy? Of course not. You know, we're always the good guy. So there's always some protagonist or antagonist that's that's just out there to get us. And and we have to we're narrative creatures. So we have to create a narrative around it. The narrative is never really about the facts. And so when people talk to themselves about their nutrition journeys or their um, fitness journeys, there's almost always a lot of blocks, a lot of um, justifications, a lot of. Uh, resistance that's all based on things that are not factual. And so when someone says, I just can't lose weight. So, well, you just told me that you've lost weight. You know, you've lost 50 pounds, three different occasions over the last three years. So that's not a factual statement. Well, I meant I can't keep it off. Well, you've kept it off for how long? And, and then you gained it back. So you can for a certain amount of time, right? Well, I'm just, you know, I just can't control myself around sugar. You just told me you went out last night and you were able to, you know, have a meal and, and have a bite of that cake and, and that was enough and you felt good about it. You know, so, so often we have this narrative that we tell ourselves that is based solely in an emotional reaction to something, a thought, um, a feeling, not necessarily a fact. So as we start to work on these things, we start to separate in our daily life, our facts from fact from fiction. We work on things like a pros and cons list, right? How does engaging this behavior help me? How does engaging this behavior harm me? How does not engaging this behavior help me? How does it harm me? Right? 
all of a sudden we start to be able to take these things that are nebulous, floating ideas that can really be kind of weighing down upon us. And we can break them down into realistic little bites. And as we start to do that more and more, and as we work on acceptance, right? The first key to all this, of course, is acceptance. Um, we have to accept where we are in order to want to change. If we don't do that, we're just going to sit there and have a whole lot of I shoulda, I shoulda, I shoulda, I shoulda, and not going to be, this is where I am. Yeah, I could have started dieting six months ago and be in a different place, but I didn't. So it doesn't matter. Here's where I am. I am happy with myself where I am, but I would like to get better. I am content now, but I want to get better. That acceptance piece lets us move on. Then we start working on all these other pieces. As we do, we start to find that like when that thought or that emotion or that feeling comes up, does it have to lead to an action? Does it have to lead to a behavior? Because those behaviors and thoughts and emotion influence one another both ways, right? A thought can go to an emotion, can go to a behavior, a behavior can go to an emotion, to a thought, any of those things. So as we start to break those pieces down, we stop living in emotion. Instead, we can live for emotion, right? Because emotions are necessary. We need them. They're helpful. But we also need to live in a logical and fact-based life if we want to make changes because we can't change ideas really we have to change things that are facts that are that are there that are trackable that are measurable and then we can change our behaviors that go around with that so I love that. There's a lot that a person will hopefully latch on to as they're listening. Um, and something that, uh, that I think about when I think about like emotional eating or just emotions in general is how much having like, well, I guess bringing it back to mindfulness, how much mindfulness can help and how it looks different for everybody. Like people are going to have different routines and there's no like one way to do it. And it's going to be very context specific, but with regards to your experience, having gone through everything that you went through in this pandemic so far, I can imagine there's a lot of emotions that have come with it. So for you personally, what has been your like mindfulness practice or what kind of keeps you from making up those stories for the cop kind of thing that don't pertain to the, the solution at hand? Um, well, I mean, I've meditated for years and, and one thing I have to point out about the pandemic is I haven't really struggled that much. Like there was some traumatic stuff, but it was more about the people around me. Um, the, the pandemic is like fifth or sixth on the least, uh, of the least like dangerous things that I've been through. Like, I mean, a few years prior to that, I was, we were in, uh, Puerto Rico when Sandy hit and we got stranded there for weeks. Um, you know, I mean, I've been to rehab like five times, been to jail a bunch of times and, you know, at one point I was facing a 25 year prison sentence. Like to me, the pandemic was like, yeah, great. I got to stay inside a little bit. Cool. Fine. Like, I mean, once you faced a 25 year prison sentence, like a year in your own house is not that bad. So, so like, I have to put that out there. Like, it was not, <laughs> it was not that hard for me. Um, so, but, but I've practiced meditation for years. Um, got pretty involved in in a rehab I was in. About 10 years ago in Pennsylvania, I spent four months in a rehab facility there. And uh, 
I was there with a, a guy who was a pretty heavy practitioner of Shambhala and I was kind of delving into it. Like I had read a lot of Zen and I had, you know, when I was like 17, I had read Siddhartha by Herman Hesse and that started me down that kind of path of, of exploring uh, mindfulness. I, I was big into psychedelics up to that point. So like, you know, I know psychedelics are a big thing again, like this is back in the nineties. I, like I, I, I ran through them all. So I was, you know, really into that exploring other kind of parts of the mind and mindfulness meditation to me has always it's, it's very similar to uh, psychedelic experiences. It allows me to tap into a part of the psyche maybe that's not there. Now, perhaps my extensive use of psychedelics earlier in life allows that to occur, um, which I think is probably a, a pretty valid um, observation. But that that mindfulness practice is always carried through. So I meditate. I mean, I, you know, I've got my little uh, meditation, my Zufu here, my little pillow. And uh, and I try to stretch one foot over a knee because I'm so inflexible. <laughs> like I, that's my real challenge is sitting and not like having everything just hurt after, you know, 10 minutes. Uh, but that um, lifting is you know to me that's a practice of mindfulness i'm 100 percent present now that i've been able to get back to jujitsu jujitsu is you know i mean there's nothing you can you can be you can be mindless and try to not be present in the moment uh when someone is trying to choke you unconscious and i guarantee you'll come back in the moment pretty quickly like it's amazing how fast that uh um, simulated death brings you uh <laughs> brings <laughs> you into the moment so uh is a great great one for me it's you know it's a, talk about ego depletion like um that it's it's been one of the best kind of forces in my life obviously it was missing for a long period of covid um but yeah i mean those those are the things and i'm um i'm a pretty pretty even dude now like i mean i used to not be at all i mean I, I'm, I'm a very very different person than i was uh even 10 years ago, but like, especially like 20 years ago, I mean, 20 years ago, I was a you know, goddamn animal. Uh, I'm totally emotional. Like it, it was only one, it was like zero to a hundred and it was almost always anger. Um, but, but ruled by emotion. Like, uh, and now I'm, I'm, I'm pretty far from that. Uh, and I, I credit the meditation to a lot of that, but it's also just getting older too. Like, you know, just, you know, and, and my, the influence of my wife and, and being sober, honestly, being sober, like that, that's a big one for me. Um, you know, I don't push that on anyone else, but for me, alcohol is just not, um, not something that works for me. And so I, I don't drink anymore. And that's, that's probably been actually, I, I, I can't say anything. Not drinking is the number one thing. That's, that's the one thing I just live by is I can't drink. If I, as long as I don't drink, I'm pretty good. Like my life is, is, is in pretty good shape. And mm -hmm. the cool thing too, is about like this pandemic and all these things like, I've had periods where I've made a ton of money. I've had periods. I mean, I've been bankrupt. Like I said, I've been to jail. Um, I've been totally broke. And none of, not not one of those situations had made me happy or unhappy. It's it's just where I am in that time. And um, knowing that, like, if I lost everything tomorrow, and like, you know, still had my wife, my dogs, like, you know, I'll find a, a place to live, and I'll you know, bus tables, or I'll find something to do. Um, and be okay. Like I'm not above that. And so, uh, having that, that kind of grounding to me, is, it makes it all easy. It's it just, I think, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, maybe not really a nihilist, but, um, I think a lot of us are so self-important and worried about clawing onto whatever the little stuff we have that we get lost in, in the actual 
purpose of, of what's going on. Well, all the the additional context that you dropped there is pretty important because I think um, for a person that's just getting to know you, they're not going to know how much you've had happen in your life. They're not going to know that you used to cut people's hair or your entry into the fitness industry or your musician background. So with that being said, I hope people go listen to the first episode that you were on just to kind of get a bit more backstory and listen to the shows that you've been on aside from the lifestyle chase. Like that's something that I've done that I found to be very interesting and cool because like every single episode you're on, you have a new story to bust out because it's just endless life experiences. <laughs> yeah. But I've got a few, <laughs> a few stories. That's for sure. Well, and I think that's the importance of like connecting with people and really like um, placing emphasis on the, the value of those connections. Like for myself, um, I, it lights me up that I get to have these conversations where I'm actually getting to learn more about people and like, um, deepen friendships and stuff like that. Like when I went to the fitness summit in 2019, you were one of the people that like made time to talk to me. And I was like, what's he doing talking to me? I'm, I'm new here. Like, but that meant a lot and that was really cool. And then from there, I've been able to build onto that. And, um, I found that during the pandemic, I've really, uh, flexed my internet friend making skills and, uh, networked with a lot of people. Like it's been super cool to have that opportunity it's been really weird right like i feel like my friendships have actually deepened without seeing anyone like it's really weird like like you know again we you know talk about dean you know dean obviously introduced us and um i count dean as like one of my best friends in the world and say i've seen ben you know ben house a few times but again i i count him as one of my closest friends and like dean and i have only been in the same room like five times Right. And like, but we talk, we literally talk every day. I mean, it's like, it's hilarious. So my wife and her girlfriends, I mean, like if I don't, if I don't hear from him in 24 hours, like I have to message him and see, and same with Ben. Like if I don't talk to Ben, like Ben, Ben's, you know, he's, he's a little bit more esoteric. So like, you know, three to five times a week is important for him. But like, yeah, Dean, if I don't talk to him daily, it's like, I'm like, uh Oh, is everything okay? <laughs> but it's, it's been cool. Like I really, I've loved like how my friendships have grown um, because I think we all realized how important they are, right? Like it, it went from like, we're just like in this industry and we have some people we're cool with and whatever it is, but you know, that that's just the thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, like these people are really important to me and I need to make sure that they know that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, speaking of Dean, like he's one of my go-to guys too. Like he's, he's helped me since the beginning of my training career and, uh, throughout the pandemic, I probably was on the other chat line, like bugging him when, when he had a little breaks from answering your messages, he was answering my messages, poor guy. Yeah. But, uh, something that I wanted to bring up as another topic is food being fuel. So when somebody is like food is fuel, how do you react? Open-ended question. Uh, <laughs> like, come on, get the fuck out of here. Cool. You're all, you're, 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 you're so hard ass. And I know why people do it, right? Like it's, it's, they're, they're trying to tell themselves this story that they don't need food for these other pieces, right? That they can just, they can just fuel their bodies. Cause that's all that's important. Um, listen, like it, like, you know, f like, first of all, it's not just fuel. Um, 
like the most disciplined people in the world are professional bodybuilders when it comes to nutrition. There's nobody that even comes close, right? And and, and Brian, another mutual friend of ours, Brian Cron, uh, he he, he brings up all the time about how um, I think it's like Dorian Yates was saying like he can't. Um, he couldn't like go out of the house because he would have dreams that he would drive through like a McDonald's or whatever and get like a burger. And there was even some bodybuilders. I've heard tons of stories of like they're cheating on their diets in the hotel room because they're like dreaming about food. And they wake up and um, like before a big show, like if food was just fuel, then those guys would not like because it, it, it food food is inextricably tied to everything we do or are as human beings religion um you know uh holidays death life birth all of these things almost always have a food component a food connection if you have a if you come from anywhere in the country like if you're you know an immigrant of first second third order your food is a large part of your identity of how your parents and grandparents connect you to that old world religion i mean people literally judaism kept people from dying because it was like hey you probably should not eat pork because back then pork was probably not a great thing to eat right don't eat shellfish because guess what you're probably going to get some kind of weird food poisoning and die nowadays we take some pedialyte we're fine um, but we think about the role that food has had and the inextricable ties to everything. I travel solely for food. Like I can tell you where I eat in Paris. I can tell you where to eat in five different cities in Italy. I can tell you the best pig brain tacos in Cuernavaca, uh, Mexico. Like that's, that is all that matters to me when I travel. Well, I'm glad that you were passionate about it. like there there is a lot to to take away from that and also just uh just the importance of of acknowledging that and promoting that to people who might feel like maybe they're broken because they they were told that they shouldn't be passionate about different dishes or that they they shouldn't indulge at like a family get together or like whatever it is for them like enjoying a dish like in moderation there's nothing wrong with that and like some experiences that I've had in the last couple of years are like um, friends helping to reassure me that like I had a key role in their life because they made a big family meal and then they did a, a porch drop off for me. Like that was huge. That was like life changing. That was like a flashbulb moment for me. And if food was just fuel, I would miss out on that. So I'm equally passionate about these things. And one day I look forward to um, learning about your recommendations of places to eat and figuring out about this. Did you say pig brain earlier? Was that the dish that you? Oh, yeah. Pig. Like, so there's this place I had these. Well, it's this Pasola. There's, there's a little talent. My wife, when she started a jewelry company, we went down to Mexico to try and find a factory because uh, we there's this very famous place um, it, it, about three hours from Mexico City, maybe four that is a, a very famous 
town for for silver and gold uh, making. So we were down there meeting with this factory owner, and we went. And they had this dish called pasole, which is this big hominy corn soup that's amazing, and they're famous for that. But when we were there, the the guy's like, "Hey, let's get these pig brain tacos." And I think he was probably like, "Hey, we're gonna scare these gringos with this thing." And I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna. I'll eat this. I'll try. I'll try whatever." And it was it's one of my favorite things ever. And, and of course, you know, we're talking about this meal we had was like you know, five courses and drinks and all this stuff. And and I think it was like $26 or something, <laughs> you know, like it was crazy, but it was incredible, incredible. Um, did it was, did you like in Kansas city, you know, like I was in, when I went to Kansas city, the first night I was there, the first time I went, didn't know anyone. And uh, I was like, Hey guys, I got a car. I'm going to get barbecue. And I remember people were like, well, this place has two locations. The one is, is in this, it's down in the city. It's kind of, it's kind of ghetto. It's a little, you know, I wouldn't go there. I go to the one in the suburbs. It was like, so you people don't know shit about barbecue because you never go to get barbecue in the suburbs. I was like, I'm from Brooklyn. We're going downtown. Anyone want to come with me? Let's go. <laughs> and, and so we went, you know, we went down and, uh, and, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm researching like the best barbecue place in Kansas city because Kansas city is known for barbecue. So that's what I'm doing. But like that, you know, and I'm there for a fitness summit. Well, <laughs> what you will, you highlighted a lot of really key points as far as like living a good, like human experience. And what I'll add on to is just the fact that like my best holidays were not the all inclusive resorts. My best holidays were when I had a backpack on and we went from like hostel to hostel. I've had holidays where I've gone to, um, Hawaii and we camped on beaches and some of it was allowed and some of it was not allowed. Some sites are, you can't go there anymore. And I'm glad that I went there when I did because I got to experience that. And I felt like I was in the middle of a Jurassic park movie and it's just like, you don't get to experience that when you kind of go and do like the common things, the things that's like, people are thinking, um, this is, this is the only way where you can find success or like the, the diets where it's like in order to, um, be happy. You need to follow this plan. You can't possibly enjoy your, your holiday or your family celebration or, or whatever pertains to that person's life. And so in highlighting, um, the ways to really get more out of, out of life. I, I think that's a good thing to have on the podcast because, uh, then it actually enhances their life rather than just like continuing to echo the same, like calorie deficit, calorie deficit, calorie deficit. Like that does nothing for anybody. And I've never gained weight on vacation. Not once. I mean, I'm also one that I kind of have to fight to keep weight on because I'm not naturally that big. Um, but like, if you think about what I make, so we talk again about like people are like, oh, they overeat and whatever. Da, da, da. Um, if you're my, if you're being mindful, you you won't overeat because overeating is not a mindful activity. When people are overeating, they're generally mindlessly shoving stuff in their mouth. If you're taking time to explore flavors, if you're taking time to explore the scent, if you're taking time to to immerse yourself in a cultural experience of eating a meal in a different country that maybe has roots that go back three or four thousand years, you're not going to mindlessly eat a bunch of crap and feel terrible afterwards. You're like and, and the, the very interesting thing, and, and I found this in my research on mindfulness was that we associate hedonic desire with impulse, impulsivity or lack of control. It's actually quite the opposite. When you are really immersed in the hedonic portions of food, meaning that 
explosion of flavor, the sense really taking the entirety of the situation in from a sensory standpoint, you're not going to be impulsive. You're actually going to be mindful and you're going to take that time because you're, you're taking time with food. So being in that experience and then, you know, tip of the hat to Dean's project, you're going to probably be getting like 20,000 steps a day when you're traveling. So you're probably fine. You know, I hate when I see people. And again, hey, if you like all inclusive resorts or cruises, that's cool. But like, you're probably going to be pretty sedentary. You're probably going to drink way too much. And you're probably going to eat food that's not really that great, but it's just free. So like, that's that's why I'll never do it. Because like, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to restaurants anyways. I'm not going to stay on thing. And I don't drink. So it, it's wasted money for me. Um, but I think a lot of times part of the problem with holidays is people are so stressed out. They go. They drink their face off and eat a bunch of mediocre food because they're just trying to de-stress and they come back feeling worse. And the purpose of a holiday is to get rid of that, to leave that shit at home, go down there, enjoy yourself wherever you're going, and then come back refreshed so you can kind of have some vigor. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I've always looked at like, uh, I've often referred to my, my short little trips that maybe I'd drive to the mountains or something. I call them vision quests because I'm often going there to be mindful in some sense, like going on a long ass walk, um, or just processing things that are going on in my life and really breaking it down into like you talked about the pros and cons list. Like I'll kind of go through the pros and the cons of what I'm going through and what I can, what I have control of to create a change. Like I once went on a walk to the mountain, like in the mountains drove there. Um, and throughout that, I realized that like to start being a trainer wasn't nearly as complicated as what I made it out to be. Like it facilitated, um, career changes for me. And the most productive trips like that, that I did were the ones where I didn't really have any alcohol. Like I might have had a few samples at like a brewery, but it wasn't an overindulgence. It wasn't a party. It wasn't to numb the thoughts in my head. I lean into the, the thoughts right. and enjoyed them. That's the key. But there's nothing wrong with alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. But it's same with food. There's nothing wrong with food. But if you're using it as a coping mechanism, you know, there might be something to look at there. If you're using it to numb thoughts or like to, to, to get you away, if you're using it to escape, well, unfortunately, we don't escape, right? Because the, the booze wears off and we're still there. Same with the food. Like, and I know that there's people out there who are going to try and argue with me about the differences that the food is not addictive because people don't understand that addiction is actually a behavioral uh, uh, issue and um, dependency is the physiological issue. Um, so when we look to things like cocaine, there is no physical withdrawal. It's a hundred percent emotional and mental. Um, so in that vein is like, does that mean cocaine is not addictive? Cause guess what? You withdraw from alcohol or benzos, you die, right? If it's serious enough. Heroin, you get really sick. Cocaine, you're just going to be like, you're going to be like really shitty and you're going to be in a bad mood. Um, the behavioral implications that occur with people who have maybe binge eating disorder, who have a, you know, a gambling problem, who have a, you know, sex addiction. They look exactly, exactly like alcohol and drugs look from a behavioral aspect. And I can tell you from personal experience, like I said, I've been to five rehabs. I've been to a few detoxes. I've been to jails. I work with a lot of people and I look and I look at the behaviors and I look at the patterns 
and the food looks exactly like my story. Unfortunately, you just don't, there's not as many negative connotations because you're not drinking and driving or doing, you know, committing crimes or being violent. Uh, but the cool thing for me is I don't drink my solution. Someone who has a food problem, guess what? Still got to eat. So, you know, and again, I think the fitness industry in general is full of people that don't have a lot of, uh, understanding of anything outside of their very tiny bubble and so say things that i think are stupid like food's not addictive because they don't actually understand <laughs> what addiction is from a behavioral aspect um and you know i get a lot of shit for that but i don't really care um but you know it's it's filled with people that are 22 and just get through on will and and think that they're special and uh you know that changes that changes over time well i mean to add some context to probably why i gravitate towards your content so much like when i was a kid i was active we had a long driveway i'd get lots of steps i grew up in the country so i could get away with a lot of just like essentially binge eating i would come home from school and have like three pudding cups like eight granola bars and like eight brownies like my mom would bake goods all the time um emotional eating has always been a thing for me if i feel sad or upset um i turn to emotional eating mindless eating all these things and so going into the fitness industry with this as my background has made me much more emotionally intelligent and empathetic to people who struggle with it, where I'm not going to waste any time telling them that food is fuel or to get into a calorie deficit because of my background and my experiences and how hard I know it is. And just to give credit to the content that you put out, you talk about the uh, importance of community. And that's what kind of drew me towards the spin community because I found like-minded people. And then I went from that and I leaned more into the trainer community. And throughout the pandemic, I created a community of trainers and people on my podcast. And I lean on that all the time. And so hopefully people understand why I like your stuff, I promote your stuff, and I'm often nodding my head as you're talking about stuff, not only because of the years that you have on me and the life experience that you have on me and the amount that I could learn from someone like you, but also because so much of my own personal background um, really brings up a lot of the reasons why I do what I do, why I talk the way I talk, and why I care about the things that I care about and talk about the things that I talk about kind of thing. Because it's like we're shaped by the things that we go through and we wouldn't choose to go through them. But having survived them or um, moved forward or grown, um, that's what creates our strengths. And that's what uh, creates our talking points later on in life. Yeah, totally. And like, I, you know, I'm one that like, I'm pretty sure if most people like if we lined up life, like experience there's some cool things there that i would but i think most people would probably not take mine but i wouldn't trade it for the world like i am who i am because of everything i've gone through and i'm appreciative of that like it's you know like do, do i it does it suck that i well, i don't even know it sucks like because i that i can't drink like yeah i mean like there, you know there's I, I i loved good wine um but i just know that i can't have it so guess what tough shit like you know there's a lot worse things i could deal with um but I'm I'm thankful for for all of the 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 struggles the tribulations because like I am who I am because of it and I'm happy with who I am, um, 
And, you know, I think that's, that's a big part of it. And people, I think a lot of times people confuse, you know, I, I'm super empathetic and my social media presence, like Dean always laughs. It's like, everyone thinks you're like, you know, Yoda and like all chill. And he's like, you're, the, he's like, you're a goddamn psycho. And I'm like, yeah, I totally am. Like every once in a while, someone will come on my post and, you know, make some bullshit kind of aggressive thing toward, you know, especially my big uh, sore spot is, is kind of picking on people that, that can't defend themselves. Uh, it always has been. When I was a kid, I used to like beat up bullies. Like I was a small kid, but like, bullies would pick on some other small kid and I just punch him in the mouth. Like that was my thing. <laughs> and I always did. Um, but like, that's my thing. So if someone comes on like one of my posts and, and basically implies in any way, shape or form that overweight people are lazy or anything like that, like I'm a pit bull. Like I will, I will go to the jugular and like, people are like, Jesus, you're an aggressive like psycho. I'm like, you're right. Like don't confuse my kindness for weakness. Like I don't ever want that to come across. Like understand who I am and where I come from because you're going to get that guy. Um, because I am looking to protect these people who I see um, as fragile right now that have a lot of strength. And I want them to I want them to be able to express that. And I don't want some, you know, jackass 22 year old kid who thinks that discipline is greater than motivation because he listened to Jocko Willink on how to be a man coming in and talking to someone. And especially when they're like, you know, fat people are lazy. I'm like, that's funny because I have overweight clients who make like $15 million a year. Are they lazy? Well, how much do you make? You know, you're in your parents' basement, you make 15 grand a year. So who's, so are you the lazy one? Like, no, no, I'm, I'm in shape. I was like, oh, that's, that, that's the factor. Okay. All right, cool. And so I'll get really, you know, I'll get aggressive with that um, because that's the one thing I do not tolerate. Well, I mean, but for the most part, I love that. That's awesome. Like that, uh, the world needs more of that because otherwise it's just, we're spinning our wheels and, and getting nowhere and, and people aren't getting the, sometimes the, just the brutal blunt help that they need. Sometimes they just need a friend in their corner. Sometimes they just need someone that, as you said, just sees the strength, sees what could be and, uh, fosters it, nurtures it, like protects it kind of thing. I'm always going to advocate for my people. Like, um, and especially because I understand the complexities of obesity, uh, you know, it, it's this. And again, and a lot of this probably my own bias, right? Becoming being an alcoholic, the, the, the views on alcohol and drugs are very different now than when I, you know, the first time I went to rehab, like I saw it as a moral failing. I thought I just wasn't strong enough. I thought I wasn't disciplined enough. Um, no one in any in my life would ever say that I'm like an un, I'm like I'm like I'm like borderline I am definitely not borderline I actually am obsessive compulsive disorder I have <laughs> I have that um in that like I am very regimented like I am quote unquote very disciplined but I couldn't stop drinking couldn't do it couldn't do it I mean we're talking it took me uh 20 plus years right um from the first time I tried to quit that's and I see people who are the same way with food. And so I am not going to let someone say that this is a moral failing because it's not. There's so many things that go into that. And this implication within the fitness industry that if someone was just, you know, good or if they weren't being lazy or if they just would, you know, cook their food at home or do all these things. First of all, that's the lazy view. That to me is the lazy person. And it's a fitness professional saying, you know, oh, it's easy to you know, cook healthy or it's easy to do this. It's, easy to do that. it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, if you're a single mom working three jobs or, you know, like I said, my clientele is all way more educated than me, way wealthier than me, way smarter than me. Um, 
and they struggle with these things that I, I can manage to do. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, mom, mom might make, you know, $1.2 million a year in finance, but she's still working 15 hours a day trying to make her, give her kids the life that they want. Right. Well, like there's a lot of context there for, for people to draw from and for people to kind of understand why like the minutia of life matters, like why it's important to, um, really learn about the people you're working with, <laughs> like take some time to understand how individual we all are and learn about that person's backstory and, uh, get to know like what they're doing outside of like, whether it be the training session or the, the nutrition coaching session or offline or whatever it be, because all of those things are going to play into, um, the long-term sustainable outcomes that we really desire as people in the space who are passionate about helping people get back on their feet and stay there kind of thing. And, and to me, like I take it as a responsibility of me to help educate other people in the industry. Um, I think I found a, a very solid, you know, for lack of a better term tribe. Uh, I don't have a big circle of people. I trust with, uh, gaining information from it's very limited. Um, and I have gatekeepers that kind of let me know what information is good and bad. I'm very lucky in that aspect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been, you know, it's been a huge, huge benefit to be in an industry where there are super accessible, super intelligent, brilliant people that are willing to share um it's pretty cool and you've you've seen it like I, I, there's a lot of you know people complain about our industry a lot um you just you just gotta you gotta associate with people and and, it, and it's great i just don't associate with the people that I, I mean trust me there's there's people that everybody loves that guess they, we're, we're not we're not gonna have a guy like i don't i don't like their views on much of anything and they're super popular and have lots of instagram followers I'll never be associated with them. If someone's like, Hey, let me put you guys together. I'm like, no, thanks. Or like that. That's not, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'd rather, I'd rather keep my circle small and keep my following, uh, wrapped up in my values. Uh, then, 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 uh, like I, 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 I never want to be a part of the marketing world that claims that they're fitness people. It's not my world. And even though that's totally, where we met the Kansas city fit the fitness summit. It's really just a marketing summit where people work out some, not my world. You know, it's cool. Like I like, I've, I've met, I made great friends through that. I mean, like you, Andrew, um, uh, Marcus Wolford, uh, who's probably one of the most interesting. If you, you need to have him on the podcast. Oh, I you should. talk about interesting <laughs> human beings. Like he is like the, I, I, every time he talks, I'm always just like, dude, like he, he's on a unicorn he, talking about being vegan at one point, squatting 550 pounds. <laughs> it goes nuts. But like him, um, D, I mean, technically I know Dean because they went to the fitness summit the year. I wasn't there and met Mike Dola. Um, Mike, I kind of, I know not from fitness summit. We were there at the same time. We never, we didn't meet there, but we became good friends afterwards. I mean, Mike T Nelson, another great friend of mine who, you know, through him and Dean led me to Ben. It's just like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful place. If you take the time to, to, to find your people.
Mm -hmm. And that's so true. That kind of mirrors my experience with it. Like, I'm not going to be everybody's person. Not everybody's going to be my person. But if I'm careful and if I pay attention to little things and have meaningful conversations, not just surface level, not just looking for the people who are the most popular in the room, but looking for the people who best align with me while also challenging me to continue to learn and to grow and to lean in kind of thing. Um, to keep us on track for time, I want to ask you one question that is going to kind of put you on the spot, but it's essentially all you have to do is give a challenge for the day to the audience. So something that you think would be meaningful that maybe aligns with, with what you bring to the world, um, that you think if a person does it, it'll make their lives better. So whenever you're ready, just say your challenge for the day is, and just, uh, let them have it. Hmm. Your challenge for the day is to figure out what your priority is, your number one value. And remember, a val- like losing weight is not a value. Like, um, I would look up James Clear has a really good thing on his website. If you look, search James Clear values, he has. I kind of stole his to use for my clients because it's a very good, it's a good exhaustive list. Find a value on there. Find a priority, and see if that actually lines up with how you're living your life. Um, I have, if you, if you go to my Instagram, you can see it also. If you look up, um, um, values and, and food on the mind values, you can, you can see it as well. I have something called a values based action plan that, that I have all my clients do. And it's, uh, it's basically how to get your actions, your behaviors to align with your values. If you can align your actions and behaviors with your values, smooth sailing, everything's easy because it's really easy to make values based decision. Um, cause it'll be, always be the right one can't be wrong if it it aligns with your values i think that's important and i hope people actually do that and i'll make it easy for them by adding all the links to your social media your website everything into the episode description so if people are thinking i'm gonna go do that they better go and uh, click on it and action that but with that being said i'd like to thank you so much for making time for me today and having this awesome conversation so thanks for coming back on the show yeah man it's great to talk to you again thanks buddy